0: Hello and welcome to this edition of Mobility Via Podcast. I'm Martha Klausing, a partner in KPMG's Washington National Tax Practice, and I'm joined today with two colleagues, Glenn Collins, a senior manager with our Global Mobility Consulting Services Group. He's based here in Washington, DC, and also Bob Rothery, a director in our Washington National Tax Practice, and he's based in San Diego. Today's topic, as you might guess, is centered around the COVID-19 crisis what we have seen unfold in the last several weeks is nothing short of astonishing and we're still very early on in the crisis but the impact of this pandemic is being felt all over the globe and at least from what I can tell there's few if any countries that have been spared Governments around the world, they are shutting their borders. They're ordering their citizens to remain at home to help stop the spread of the virus. They are passing legislative measures designed to provide relief to taxpayers via extended due dates, tax filings, as well as tax payments. They're looking at ways to shore up economies that have taken a severe hit. And if we think about the global mobility space, HR professionals are still scrambling to even sort out where their employees currently are are they safe are they stuck are travel restrictions impending their ability to get home not to mention trying to understand what the outlook is if we have a protracted pandemic what does that mean in terms of the programs the policies and the costs So as I said, we're still very early on in the crisis. Many of us are still in a very reactive mode. Four weeks ago, six weeks ago, at least if I think about us in the United States, we could not have foreseen that we would be hunkered down today trying to remain productive in a completely changed environment. There is no business as usual at the moment. Everyone's trying to adapt while trying to stay safe and sane. So this is what we're going to talk about today. In today's conversation, we're going to address some of these issues, understanding that the current state, it's still very fluid. And we really don't know how long this pandemic will last. We don't know how deep of an impact it will have on our societies, businesses, the economies around the globe. Lots of things are up in the air, but let's just talk about where we are. So Glenn, you've been speaking with a good number of global mobility professionals that are grappling with this COVID-19 crisis. What is top of mind and what are some of the most urgent considerations that, that our HR professionals are dealing with?
1: Thanks, Martha. Yeah, I think uh, the good news is that uh, there's so many challenges, as you've perfectly laid out from a global mobility program perspective. Uh, What we're seeing from our clients is that they are really putting a significant emphasis on putting their people first. So regardless of the potential tax or immigration uh, outcomes, potential corporate tax tax risks to their organizations from say like a permanent establishment perspective those issues are top-of-mind but they're really going to be dealt with later so the, the big push at the moment is to really ensure the safety and security of their employees and arming them and giving them with enough information that they can make ideally an informed decision about whether to remain in country were to return to their country of origin. We just finished up our initial first spot survey in the market. It was entitled Implications on Globally Mobile Employees. And uh, we had about 200 participating cross-industry global organizations, which is great. Uh, So we are able to already glean some insight about what's happening. I was a bit surprised, but actually considering the fact that so many global organizations have numerous employees in many countries globally, 61% of the participating organizations stated in our survey that they had no plans at the moment to repatriate their international assignees at this time. And essentially, assignees are being directed to follow the local country mandates, including very similarly to what we're having occurring in the United States, stay at home and self-quarantining as needed. Um, and a third of the participants, though, said they're, they're, they're still handling the decision-making on a case-by-case basis. So maybe where there was an international assignment that was due to come up and end, and say, within the next three to six months, uh, there perhaps was more attention on just uh, repatriating the assignee and accompanying family members uh, back to the country of origin. Um, certainly with the short-term international assignments, most of those, Individuals have been returned home and uh, have concluded their short-term assignments. Just to give you some examples, though, and as, far, as far as the case-by-case scenario, and looking at whether or not to keep assignees in country or ask them to come home or uh, respect their desire to come home, et cetera, uh, one of our participating organizations said that they had actually identified about seven host countries where the medical care uh, situation was not very good, so that they outright offered, the, the assignee and their accompanying dependents in those locations to return to their home country, just to give you an example, one-pointed area. So at the moment, the situation is is still quite fluid. Um, for those assignments that were queued queue for 2020, as well as permanent transfers, for example, or international transfers, many of those have also been put on hold temporarily, and it's kind of a wait-and-see scenario. Some organizations have said that they've they've outright canceled, uh, but the, the, the numbers are, are not as high as those that are still uh, about half of the participating organizations said that they're they're just going to wait it out again and see. Uh, but the intention is that those that were planned for 2020 are still on the horizon, but it's just uh, the uncertainty as to uh, when the timing will be, obviously, for those, those assignments or transfers to occur. So while the focus has obviously been on safety and security of international signees and their accompanying family members uh, overall though as we know the issues associated with uh, outside of the HR duty of care areas uh, specifically around compliance are still there so organizations are going to have to start thinking about that and then addressing that and it's most likely going to be coming up in the not too, too, uh, to near future. So uh, how, how are you seeing specifically maybe a few areas that organizations are sh- maybe should be considering or are already considering? I know we've had a, a number of legislative uh, changes coming into play as well over the last couple of weeks. Uh, so I'll, I'll turn it over to you and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that.
2: Oh, great, thanks Glenn. Well, at this point we still have more questions than answers, there are in fact a lot of, uh, of tax implications to a person remaining in place longer than anticipated or returning home sooner than anticipated. So some countries were beginning to hear reports from about ways that they will address these things in non-intra EU moves. There's, uh, there's been a lot of pronouncements already. Certain other countries, Australia, is making some pronouncements. So far here in the United States, we're very early in receiving guidance. There has been congressional action that we'll talk about in a minute. In terms of situations where days needed to be counted in order to not... Cross a certain threshold. So far, we don't have any guidance there. So, just the, the things that clients are beginning to ask about and that we're going to be closely tracking to, to uh, identify when the IRS has some guidance for us. There's, for example, the foreign earned income exclusion, where there's qualifying tests that require that a person remain in the foreign country for a certain period of time. There are provisions in the tax code that uh, uh, allow the IRS to waive those time requirements. The The, the wording of the code is not well suited to a crisis like this so we'll have to see whether the irs feels like it's within their purview to to make waivers of of the time requirements in in this case similarly there are certain thresholds that uh, will cause a person to be taxable or or change their status so residency in the us as well as residency in various u.s states may be dependent on how long you remain in the u.s or in a given state so we'll we'll be waiting to see whether whether there um, is the potential um, of waivers either from the U.S. or from states to prevent a person from being regarded as a resident where otherwise they wouldn't been, had they not been forced to remain in place in the U.S. due to the travel restrictions that have been forced upon us by, by COVID-19. Similarly, there's a provision that allows uh, certain business travel expenses not to be included in income, and that's dependent on a person not remaining in the host location for too long. So, again, we'll uh, look to see whether there's any guidance from the Internal Revenue Service on whether that might be waived where a person is forced to remain in place in the in the host location for longer than would normally be allowed. All of these are things that are driven by the U.S. Internal Revenue Code, so we would be seeing similar kinds of rules but with different, standards in other countries and would we'll be looking them to see whether they'll be relaxing their standards as well. Finally, there is one thing that's driven by treaties where if a person is is in uh, a host location for less than 183 days, they may be able to not be taxed in the host location with respect to their compensation for services provided in the, the host location. We are having uh, early reports that the OECD is beginning to look at these issues. And a similar issue, Martha, is that of permanent establishment, which is also driven by treaties. Do you have uh, any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean, a lot of times this is coming up from the tax department, right? But this age-old worry about individuals working in a certain location for a company that's based in another country and the question of by reason of their activities are they creating what is called a permanent establishment or PE and you know because of the global pandemic there are going to be a lot of situations where employees are working in countries other than the country where they normally and regularly work. In some instances, they might be stuck in a country, can't leave, due to the travel restrictions or border closings. You know, in particular in the EU, many individuals commuted cross borders daily to their jobs, but now they're working from home in the country where they live, but historically they've not worked there. And the concern raised by many is whether or not these individuals could potentially create a permanent establishment due to this unplanned and unusual situation. So in response to this, and just recently, in fact, three days ago, the OECD, um, you mentioned, Bob, they did issue guidance to specifically address this concern. And you know, it's a seven-page uh, discussion paper, but in a nutshell, um, to boil it down, The the guidance is that it's unlikely that the COVID-19 situation will create any changes to the regular PE determination that you would go through. Some countries, you mentioned Australia, they have made um, specific points about leniency when it comes to the issue of PE during this exceptional times of crisis. Australia's ATO stated that it, quote, will not apply compliance resources to determine if a company has a PE in the country if the business has employees there only because of travel restrictions related to the pandemic. So Australia was a very early country to come out and make a statement with respect to this. Ireland's revenue also issued guidance to disregard the presence of an individual in Ireland And we're relevant in another jurisdiction for corporate income tax purposes for a company if the individual's presence is a result of COVID-19 travel restrictions. So, you know, there's a lot of countries that haven't even gotten to addressing this yet. But, you know, my view is absolutely they recognize that there are these various tax issues that are driven off of someone's physical presence. Bob, You mentioned the individual's tax residency is one, the ability to qualify for tax relief under a treaty, what we call the 183-day rule. But I, I think you're going to see more and more countries, as they get further down the road with dealing with everything they're trying to deal with, that they will come out with some sort of pronouncements in terms of hopefully leniency In applying some of these rules again many many unanswered questions although it does seem like there's developments each and every day like every 24 hours passes and there's another development so the one thing that we can say is this is a very fluid environment and it it probably will remain as such for the near future so just staying on top of the latest developments is is pretty important
2: absolutely and uh with that in mind i think we can, it's important to say that both congress and the irs are are trying to react quickly to advance policies that will have the most immediate impact on the economy now for example with that in mind the irs uh, announced a couple of weeks ago that tax deadlines will be extended any entity that has a tax return or a tax payment due on April 15th will have that delayed for three months. So April 15th tax returns will be due on July 15th and April 15th payments of tax will be due on uh, July 15th. There's some wrinkles there. There are some some subtleties there. So if you have something due on, on April 15th, you should talk to your tax provider to be sure that it is extended. But the idea here is to give people some breathing room, some leeway with respect to administrative functions with that are related to tax return filings that may be difficult to accomplish with the disruption in business that's going on right now and also to alleviate cash flow concerns uh, where uh, an amount would be due uh, on april 15th at a time when revenue streams for many businesses have really dried up
0: and interesting bob that you mentioned just the the issue of liquidity and and maintaining cash reserves. If you think about these payments that are due on April 15th from an individual perspective, but if we think about a lot of global mobility programs where tax equalization is a central theme, the fact that the companies may be able to defer those payments, in fact can defer those payments for three months, that's at least a short-term benefit in terms of maintaining their cash and, and Keeping their liquidity higher during that period.
2: Absolutely, and I think the July 15th date was was chosen rather arbitrarily. And we'll see uh, what happens this summer with respect to developments with with the pandemic, um, whether additional. Um, extensions are needed. There's there's no way to know at this point, of course, what what future action may be taken or may be needed to be taken. There's a lot of other provisions in the recent legislation that were uh, aimed at relieving cash flow for taxpayers, including a postponement of the deadline for employer portion of FICA taxes and various tax credits to help employers retain their employees and help the cash flow of individuals and corporate taxpayers. One of the provisions in the recent legislation that's receiving the most attention is the uh, recovery rebate checks that a lot of individuals will be receiving in the months to come.
0: So, yes, Bob, this recovery rebate is certainly getting a lot of attention and a lot of questions around exactly how is this going to work. Initially, when the legislation was passed, there were very bold comments, if you will, that they wanted to have the checks in the hands of the individuals within two weeks' time. And I think, you know, we're we're getting close to that date, and there still is the discussion administratively how they identify the taxpayers who are eligible, how do they get the checks to them, and largely the eligibility in terms of an individual's level of income. The IRS will look to a prior tax return, either 2019 or 2018, if 2019 has not been filed. But it's a rebate, it's an advance rebate with respect to 2020 taxes. So it'll be trued up the following year. And that certainly has some implications from a tax policy or tax equalization approach that companies may have. So, Glenn, I know earlier in our discussion you mentioned that right now companies are really focused on the safety of their employees, but then we did progress to some of the tax issues that will have to be addressed down the road, and I think this advanced rebate from a policy perspective may have some implications do you have any any thoughts on that
1: so Martha yeah thanks thanks for that and I think I do have a a few thoughts uh, from a global mobility program perspective as as far as some of the associated outcomes now of the CARES Act and specifically uh, the implications on on global mobility programs and tax equalization and from that perspective Uh, some assignees may have their payments reduced or eliminated because of increased wage reporting due to assignment allowances or their assignment packages right or associated payments and then conversely since the determination of eligibility is based on adjusted gross income as you mentioned certain expatriates who qualified for the foreign earned income exclusion uh, may now have their AGI reduced making them eligible for when they otherwise would not have been eligible So I think at this stage Global Mobility Managers should really start to think about these associated policy implications uh, and spend the time now maybe thinking about how their program will approach uh, these potential disparities and, and work out a communications plan to share with their employees on how the organization tends to address this from a policy and perhaps even more importantly from a process perspective.
0: So, Glenn, in, when when you're talking about this, it makes me think that we went through a similar situation, just in terms of a, a stimulus rebate back in 2008 when we had the financial crisis. Certainly, weren't dealing with a global pandemic at the time, but there, the IRS did um, have a similar type of rebate and it operated largely the same way, so, so that could be a key that anyone who, from a policy perspective, addressed this at that time, uh, they could go back and, and take a look at, you know, what the uh, thought process was, where they ended up, and what the resolution was, and perhaps that gives them a framework for addressing it this time around. So we've covered quite a bit of ground during the last several minutes, um, talking about a lot of things COVID-19 related. It's certainly an unsettling period, and it's, the situation remains very fluid. But every day there are new developments as we you know, try to address all the things going around the globe. I do want to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of Mobility Via Podcast. You will find links to our COVID-19 information page in the online description of this recording, and there are a wealth of resources there, so please check it out. In future episodes, we will continue to address the top-of-mind issues of interest to our listeners. And, in the meantime, we would love to hear from you. If you have thoughts on today's episode or ideas for what you'd like to hear in the future, please send us an email at us-taxwatch at kpmg.com. Bob, Glenn, great to speak with you and to our audience again. Thanks for listening.